Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell, and Major League Baseball is in its all-star break for the 2014 season. It will be King Felix, Felix Hernandez, going for the American League tomorrow night, and Adam Wainwright of the St. Louis Cardinals going for the National League. So it should be a very interesting game. Of course, home field advantage in the World Series is at stake tomorrow night. We're going to talk about that. Plus, we're going to have Donald Nepper from LiftTheBand.net. We're going to talk about Pete Rose this evening later on in the show. But before we do that, let's talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And to do that, of course, let's go down south to Parts Unknown and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. How are you tonight? Well, I'm better than I was last week at this time, David, with the unknown week coming up. Uh, where the Reds, I think, a week ago tonight, were seven or seven and a half games behind. And here they are, only a game and a half as we speak tonight behind. And uh, it, it, it put a whole new spin on the season. They have had an outstanding week, as you said, Mark. Six and two, that five-game basic uh, sweep of the Cubs in the middle of the week really put them over the hump. They're 51 and 44 going into the All-Star break, Mark. Third uh, place right now behind St. Louis and Milwaukee, and they won two out of three against Pittsburgh. And I've got some play- some complaints for you about that Saturday night game. Why? <laughs> Gee, why would anybody complain about that? I, I was very out. very disappointed in that that outcome and how that game was handled. You know, looking back, you mentioned that homestand where the Reds won two of three against Milwaukee. One of those games, they lost one to nothing. They win four out of five games against the Cubs. The final game of that series, they they had a lead in the eighth inning, blew the lead, lost in 12 innings. And then on Saturday night, they, they had a lead again, and Broxton came up and give, gave up a uh, a solo home run to uh, tie the game, and then the Reds had the bases loaded with nobody out. Or actually, they had runners hit uh, first and second with nobody out, a base hit. They could have had bases loaded with nobody out, man thrown out the plate, second and third with nobody with one out, and they could not get a ground ball. They could have won all 11 of those games easily. They should have won all 11 of those games. That's That's how good their pitching has been, but I know exactly what you're going to say about the Saturday night game. Well, before we do that, let me get into the Indians. The Indians are 47 and 47 at the All-Star break. Third place in the AL Central, seven and a half games behind Detroit at 53 and 38. And Mark, the season for the Indians could be over before the second half really even begins because this weekend we play the Tigers in a four-game series. And if you lose three out of four against the Tigers, you're suddenly down by double digits and the season is for all intents and purposes, over. Yeah, and we talked about uh, how close the Reds were to that eventuality, and they, they pulled through. But, um, you know, the Indians, they don't have the Reds' depth in pitching, as you and I have talked about. And uh, they have good pitching, but they don't have great pitching by any stretch of the imagination. And they, they still don't have that hitter, that elusive hitter that both teams need. So, um, you know, it's a lot of things can happen, but you're right. I mean, the season could be over by before August 1st for the Indians, and that's that's not a position you want to be in. 
Well, Mark, that may be true, excuse me, about the Indians pitching, but the one thing that I want to bring up tonight that I'm fairly disappointed with as far as the Cincinnati Reds are concerned, and I know you're going to argue tooth and nail about this with me, I am not sure that Brian Price is managing this team the way that it should be managed. And I'm going to bring up a couple of uh, situations to you, and I'd like your explanation as to where I am missing the boat here. But the first one is when he brought Jay Bruce in, a gold glove right fielder, to play first base two weeks ago. We talked about that a little bit last week, but that was a strange maneuver. The second strange maneuver, I've got to be honest with you, Mark, I understand babying a pitcher. But on Saturday night, one of the things that I had to complain about was the fact that they went into that ball game shutting Araldis Chapman down so he wouldn't pitch four nights in a row. This guy pitches one inning, if if that, every time he comes into the game. You've got an all-star break coming up. You're playing against a divisional foe that finished second last year and has been playing some good baseball. It's a very important divisional game. And you're shutting your ace down, your ace closer down, in a situation where he should have been in the ball game and not Broxton. Broxton should have pitched the eighth. Chapman should have pitched the ninth. Where am I missing the boat here? I hate to say this, but I agree with you. Wow. Okay. I didn't expect that. Let's move forward. <laughs> don't 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 dwell when I agree because I. I I kept shaking my head. All he needs to get is three outs, and the Reds would have, could have swept them and basically put them five and a half games behind, and that would have been a death knell, and the Reds would have, would be in first place. You know, that's uh, I, I didn't understand it, um, <laughs> and and you know to further your point, um, why in God's name tell me, David, oh wise man from North, why is J.J. Hoover pitching? Oh, uh, Mark, how is he still on the team? He's, what, one in seven with a, a five ERA? He's given up uh, more home runs per inning than just about anybody in Major League Baseball. And the Reds bringing him in to pitch two innings. And uh, you mean that's as good as it gets? I, I don't I don't get it. Mark, I, I, every time you bring in J.J. Hoover, it's like the air is sucked out of great American ballpark. Because when he gets an out, you have to thank your lucky stars because every out that he gets, he's one more out closer to a game-winning or game-tying home run. And why in the world they would ever let this guy pitch to Andrew McCutcheon in the 12th inning of that ball game? I'll, I'll never know. Uh, just walk the guy. But don't give him anything to hit. Yeah, exactly. Walk the guy. He's in a different league than Hoover. Hoover will never get him out. And yet they pitch to him. And the first home run was bad enough, but at least Broxton has enough stuff that he can, he can in some cases, in most cases, contain McCutcheon. But Hoover, are you gonna, that is baseball 101. Why would you do that? And you're right, to some extent. I went down there last week to a game, uh, the, the Cubs, uh, the second game of the doubleheader, and his starting rotation was, uh, his starting lineup was something unbelievable. And then they bring in Holmberg, 
to pitch. They bring him up from Indianapolis. He's 0-5 with a 5 ERA. I'm sorry, in Louisville. 0-5. Why not pitch the bullpen? The bull- right. The bullpen shut the Cubs down for the last uh, six or seven innings of the game. They didn't get a run. Why Why give a minor leaguer a shot like that when you need – you're, you're, at the time you're behind four or five games. Everybody in the stands that I was sitting with, uh, we were all talking about it. What, what are you doing? Why didn't they just bring up Stevenson and let him throw? Who knows? You could have put names in a hat. And pick somebody that would have been better than, better than Holmberg. Oh, and five with a five ERA and Triple A. What do you think is going to happen? Wow! Right. Gave, you know, and, gives five runs in three innings. What a shocker! And, and you and I discussed this, I think, before the season began, or the first or second week of the season. But as far as I'm concerned, Mark, I've I've seen Steve Smith coach third base three times, or over two years. Okay, a few times. This guy must give a great sign down at third base because his judgment on when to send a runner home and when to hold him at third is absolutely abhorrent. He doesn't know when to do it. There's an old axiom, Mark, and I think you'll agree with this. You never make the first out of an inning at at home or the last out of an inning at home. And in that play there in the 11th inning, or the 10th inning, I'm sorry, where they threw the runner out at home, they would have had the bases loaded, as you alluded to earlier, nobody out. Instead, he sent the guy home and gets him thrown out by five feet. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I really love my dog, but I was ready to kick it. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't really kick my dog, but um, it's, I'm standing there watching it, thinking the game is over, and then he throws, throws him out the plate, and you just knew. Number one, Ludwig was up next. Ludwig was going to strike out. There was no question about that. And then I forget who it was, Heisey up next, and he struck out. Uh, the Reds didn't have a chance. And it's just a ridiculous – by the way, the Reds lead Major League Baseball in being thrown out at home plate. I believe that. No, they do. And they're one of the worst scoring teams in baseball. Wouldn't you think they'd be a little more conservative when runs are at such a premium? I, I've watched that guy coach two years at third base under Manny Acta with the Indians in market. I've never seen a guy that had such poor judgment on when to send a runner home or when not to. I, I, I did. I watched it for two years. As far as I'm concerned, Steve Smith's only claim to fame is the fact that he, he was on that show, uh, The Great uh, Race, uh, on CBS. He, oh, he yeah. was on that TV show. I, I can't even tell you what the name of it is right now, but that that he was on that TV show with his brother, and and uh, but he still manages to get third base coaching jobs in Major League Baseball. It, it just thoroughly amazes me. But I want to run over a couple of things for you here. Don't forget Donald Nepper from LiftTheBand.net uh, is going to be our guest tonight. That LiftTheBand.net website, Mark has to do with Pete Rose, and he's trying to get Pete Rose reinstated. He met with Pete yesterday. Matter of fact, he's been in contact with Pete a few times, and we're going to talk to him coming up here in a few minutes on tonight's show. And also we've got our Ask Us segment coming up at the bottom of the hour. But I want to run these numbers by you for the Indians right now. 
defensively at the All-Star break. The Indians committed three more errors this week. They have committed 76 errors so far this season in 94 games. They had 98 game errors in 162 games all of last year, so they're just 22 shy of what they did a year ago. As far as pitching, and this will show you how those errors have hurt them, Mark, in the American League pitching-wise, the Indians are ninth in ERA, 6th in earned runs with 372 given up, but 4th in runs giving up with 425 total, meaning the opposing team has scored 53 runs because of errors the Indians have committed this year. Unbelievable total. You cannot win that way. No, I didn't know it was that bad. I think as of yesterday, the Reds had committed 39 errors, so roughly one half. And if you were to believe the statistics have some kind of relativity to them, you would say that the Reds maybe have given up 25 unearned runs this year. Huge difference. Oh, au contraire. But you're close as far as what the Reds have done. I've got those numbers, too. They've committed 41 errors this year in 95 games. Mm-hmm. As far as their pitching is concerned... They're seventh in the league in ERA. They're ninth in the league in earned runs, giving up 329. But they're twelfth in the league in giving up total runs at 349. So 20 runs on errors this year. There's only one other team, Mark, in national in the National League that has given up that um, least amount of runs in the National League. Do you know who that is? Let me see. Who has a great defense? The Dodgers. The Cardinals. The Cardinals Cardinals have also given up 20 runs on errors this year. Well, that's an amazing number with the Indians. What did you say, 53, 54, was it? 53. 53. That's a lot of runs. That's 33 more runs. That's a run every third game extra. That's huge. Yeah, it it actually is. And, And just to show the difference between the two ball clubs, I mean, when you look at the hitting, they're pretty close to the same as far as where they stand in the league, Mark. The Indians are fifth in batting average in RBIs, eighth in home runs. The Reds, on the other hand, as far as hitting is concerned, they're eighth in the league in batting average in home runs and ninth in RBIs. And like you said, they're also first in the league at having runners thrown out at home plate. You know, that that's one of the things that you would think, as you said, they'd be a little more conservative on. But, you know, I I, uh, had an opportunity to to take a look at these teams, and I thought, what would be a good thing to discuss tonight? And I wanted to ask you, Mark, if you had to boil the red season right now down to one word, what would that word be as far as what the Reds have done in the first half of the season, and why would you pick that word? The word I would pick is pain. And the reason I would pick the word pain is they've had 13 men on the on the disabled list, three of them on the disabled list twice. One, two, three. Three of the players are done for the year, and it's unlikely that uh, Joey Votto, their best player, arguably, is even going to come back this year. And if he does, uh, they've already announced that he's not going to be 100%. So it's miraculous, given the pain they've endured physically, that they are where they are. 
but it'll maybe after the break or after our guest, we can get into what we can suggest as plans for the second half of the season. Euphemistically speaking, the, the, the first half is already really over, but um, the Reds have to make a move. But I would say pain is the operative word with the Indians or with the Reds. How about the Indians? Well, as far as the Indians were concerned, I, I had a tough time picking between two, but I'm going to go with agonizing. And the fact is, is that whenever you watch an Indians game, it is just terrifically agonizing to watch just how difficult it is for them to win a baseball game. When they get off to a good start in the first couple couple innings, it is very fun to watch them. But And I think the, the best example I can give is Trevor Bauer. I'm very excited about Trevor Bauer and the uh, improvement that he has made over the year, Mark. Somebody has gotten into this kid's head and told him, you've got to start listening to us. You've got to start accepting coaching, because he has. But he has a very difficult time of getting himself comfortable on the mound when it comes to being a starting pitcher. It takes him about three to three, maybe four innings to get himself comfortable on the mound. And when you look at him, he's a microcosm, Mark, of what the Indians are. It's agonizing to watch him pitch the first three or four innings of a ball game. And after that fourth inning, Mark, he's lights out. It's like he it clicks with him, he gets comfortable on the mound, and the thing about it is, when you watch him pitch, he doesn't give up that many runs. Yesterday, he was he had the lead one to nothing, but he had thrown 117 pitches in six and two thirds innings. That's a lot of pitches to go into the seventh inning with, and leading one to nothing. That shows you what he does in those first three or four innings, where he just throws a ton of pitches. Well, he struck, I think he struck out what ten yesterday, and it, it was the best I had seen him pitch. His breaking ball just was unhittable. I mean, I don't know if he's throwing a splitter uh, or what he's throwing, but uh, that ball in the dirt, uh, it looks like a fastball coming in there and the bottom drops out. So I, you're right. I don't know what he's throwing in terms of uh, velocity-wise. I, I didn't see that. But he's awfully hard to hit. And, he, you know, he reminds me a little bit of is a very young Homer Bailey. When Bailey first came up, you know, he had the great arm, wouldn't listen to anybody, and he would he pitch fine for a while, four or five innings, and then get you know give up five runs. Uh, you, you just really couldn't you, you couldn't listen to him on the radio. It was so aggravating. But he kind of reminds me of, of a young Homer Bailey, and Homer Bailey finally grew up. And with the arm that Trevor Bauer has, I think he has every indication that the same thing could happen to him. He certainly got the talent. Well, I, I certainly hope so. We're going to get back to looking at what the Indians and the Reds are going to have to do in the second half of the season in a little bit, but it's time now for us to welcome to our Ohio Baseball Weekly microphones Donald Nepper. Donald is an attorney in Rockville, Maryland, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., and you would think just being outside of Washington, D.C., he's got enough to worry about with Congress there, but no. What does Donald do? He sets himself up a website on Pete Rose, which is called liftaban.net. Now, I've had the opportunity to talk to Donald 
one other time about a year ago, and this is a very interesting website. If you get a chance to go to that website, take a look at it. Donald, nice to have you tonight. How are you this evening? Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Hi, Donald. Doing great. Donald, Mark Donahue's alongside. He's the cohort from down in Cincinnati. And uh, But first of all, you know, like I said, I've had the opportunity to talk to you uh, on one other occasion, but for those of us that uh, haven't didn't have an opportunity to hear that interview on the other show, tell us how did you get this website started and why did you get it started? Well, Lista Band, Lista Band came from me by happenstance watching a documentary about Pete Rose that ESPN put together several years ago, and. As I was watching it, I, I didn't know that much about Pete. To be honest with you, I didn't grow up in Cincinnati. It was just occurred to me that, that what's going on here is wrong. And what probably could work is if the fans got together and, and created a movement. If there were a campaign of fans, that would be the emphasis to get him back into baseball. And there were a few few things along the way that happened that sort of made me think that, I, you know what, that this would be a really cool thing to do, and it was just one step after another, and here we are in 2014, and, you know, we're still growing, obviously, we're still in our infancy, but we've come a long way. Um, we've got almost 4,000 followers on Twitter. I think by now we probably have about 3,000 t-shirts sold. And the thing is just starting to really take on a life of its own. I mean, we have stores in and around Cincinnati who are going to be carrying our shirts. Um, Sports Gallery in Westchester and Dayton are going to have our shirts on their shelves probably by tomorrow. And this thing really could work. I mean, it's, it's really it's a very gratifying thing. And you know, the website. I'm I'm, I'm an attorney. I'm not. I don't know that much about the technology. My legal assistant does. And he's been the one to really help out with the website. So, I mean, there's there's a few guys who work in sort of a flurry whenever we can on Lift the Band. But really, I think it's up and it's running. And it's uh, it's something that the fans want. So I'm, I'm glad to be able to be participating in it. Like I always say, it's not mine. Donnie Nepper sort of, you know, I put a lot of energy into it. But this is for the fans, and it's the fans who are doing it. Hey, Don, I've got a couple of questions that have been eating at me for a couple of years, actually. Uh, I have met Pete Rose several times. I know him, so maybe I'm a little prejudiced. I'm a Reds fan. Years back, I, I saw the guy play probably as many games as anybody. But do you think that – two questions. Number one, is Bud Selig the problem? And when he retires, does that problem go away? You know what? I really don't know. I, you know, I, I think that Pete, Pete handles that question very diplomatically. And – it could be, for all we know, that Pete already knows that he's going to be reinstated. You know, at the time that Bud, Bud steps down, I don't think I don't know um, whether or not Bud is the one who is standing in its way. I know Bud is Bud is the man who can make it happen, and it has not happened yet. But I'm not privy to that type of information, so I really I can't formulate an opinion on that. My, my second question is: You being a I don't know if you were a litigator or not. Uh, but uh, in terms of the, the legal aspects of this, has Pete, in your opinion, exhausted all the avenues of due process with regard to uh, his reinstatement and the agreement he signed all those 
so many years ago. Uh, has he has he been aggressive enough on the legal side, in your opinion? Yes, I think that he did exhaust his remedies. And in fact, I think that to me, and this is just my opinion, I, I don't know this for a fact, but to me, the reason he accepted the ban was in part because if he didn't, it would go to arbitration and then it would get appealed to the federal system and ultimately end up with the Court of Appeals, unless the Supreme Court were to take the case, but I doubt that that would happen. And then he would be stuck with a binding federal decision, federal judgment that would have banned him from baseball potentially. Instead of doing that, well, let's reach a private agreement. I'll accept the permanent ban. And with the understanding, at least the subjective understanding from Pete's point of view, that I'm coming back into baseball. I mean, at the time Pete was talking about he'd be back within a year, that might have just been wishful thinking. But I, but nobody, nobody, not even Giamatti, thought that Pete would still be out of baseball come 2014. I don't think that was anybody's. I don't think anybody envisioned that. Donald, is your goal with this website to get? Pete actually reinstated, or is it to, would you accept him just being admitted into the Hall of Fame? No, it's for reinstatement. It's for reinstatement into baseball. Um, and, and a lot of people, I get that a lot on Twitter, which is fine. I don't correct people on that, you know, because I understand people want him to be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, to me, I mean, it's obvious that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I get, you know, there's a lot of people that want to debate that. And it's just like, you know, like, a good Hall of Fame debate is Tiki Barber. Does Tiki Barber warrant enshrinement into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? That's not the Pete Rose debate. We all know that Pete Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, to me, with that understanding, the Hall of Fame is a little more than a museum. And that, you know, it would be great to have that day where Pete's honored and all of the things that come with it. But to me, as a practical matter, what would be really, truly valuable is to have Pete Rose be a talent scout for the Cincinnati Reds or to have Pete be a batting coach for their AAA affiliate. You know, that that to me would be more meaningful because then he can pass on the gift that he has. And it's not like Pete, you know, you guys would probably know that, but Pete doesn't sit around just telling war stories all the time. Like when I hear Pete on interviewed on the radio, he is an educated fan about today's game. And, He's not one of these curmudgeons who are like, oh, back in my day it was so good. He's quick to tell you guys, you know, that the guys that are playing today hustle. And there's some hard work and there's some really good players. And that the only knock that he has at all, he says that they're, you know, a lot of the guys are on discipline at the plate these days. So that's, it's about reinstatement. You know, back when this, Don, when this happened years ago, uh, I remember thinking at the time, the worst thing that ever happened to Pete Rose aside from getting caught, was when Bart Giamatti died. Because yeah. I, really, I really think that, maybe you know better than I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but when he died, I think it put it in a, in a personal level with he and Bud Seeley. And uh, when, when Bart died, and he, he, was a, he was a good man, I, I'm not saying he did anything wrong except die, but I think that really hurt Pete. Uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think so, too, because, it, you know, and especially because it came so close in time. Like, I guess it, it was eight days later that, eight days after the ban went into effect, that Giamatti died. And for right or wrong, there's a lot of people who, who believe that the stress of the Pete Rose scandal, because back in 1989, and you guys will remember that 
it was it was like the PED news. I mean, it was uh, of today. It was, but but even more so, it was all consuming. You know that this guy who just a few years before had broken Ty Cobb's record has now broken like the rule in baseball, which is you cannot gamble on games. Um, and that maybe the stress of it is what caused Giamatti's heart to give out. Um, I have been told that the last person Giamatti spoke to was Buck Felix. And I mean, who knows what that conversation was about? But you know, yeah. I mean, had Giamatti lived, yeah, history might have been might have been very different. Donald, tell me, what is has your website done so far? Uh, besides collecting uh, signatures and 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 followers on Twitter to try to get Pete reinstated. You know, we are a campaign of visibility. That, that's it's like it's like any other campaign for really any other cause. Is that it's about being visible, and to that end, what we are doing, what the really the, the the purpose of the website is for. It's not a website necessarily that people would go to on a regular basis. I mean, it's not Facebook or something like that. But it's a place where you can get a T-shirt. You can get an awesome-looking T-shirt that says "List of Ban on Pete Rose." And all of the money we get, we reinvest into the campaign. I mean, if, if people who have been following us for a while could tell you, like, our T-shirts were at one time very primitive, and we didn't have that many of them, and, and they were very homemade, and that the money we got from those, we reinvested, and we upgraded, and we're constantly doing that and to the point now where I mean, we have professional art, there's multiple colors, like, there's all these it's, it's and what we're trying to do is we want to provide a high-quality product for our supporters that they actually want to wear, you know, and so that they will wear them. So when they go out to the mall, when they're out at the ballpark, and where they're, you know, that this is a shirt that's going to be part of their regular rotation, and that when other people see it, they go, that's awesome. That's really cool. You're damn right. Lift the band off heroes. Where'd you get that shirt? And that from that, we got more shirts going out there. And the real goal is to hit the tipping point where, where there's so many of these shirts out there, and we're really focused on Cincinnati uh, for obvious reasons, that, man, Major League Baseball has to take notice and that it's going to spill over to other cities. You know, it's going to spill over into Philadelphia and into Cleveland and into New York and all of that to the point where, you know what, this is really a Major League Baseball phenomenon that the fans are 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 are, are sporting this. Are, they're, they're behind this banner called Lift the Band. And at that point... If nothing else, we will have. I mean, it's just a tremendous tribute by the fans to Pete Rose. Even even if we fall short of our of our true objective, that you know we're we're doing we're doing a tremendous service to a guy, sort of a tip of the hat to a guy who's now in his seventies to say, we remember who you really were. You're 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 not you're not this you're not this this subject of a gambling scandal. One of the hardest working baseball players of all time, and he did it the right way. Hey, Don, I one last question I have. Um, about a month ago, I read where Pete was quoted as saying that he believes that Bud Selig will reinstate him. Do you think Pete really believes that? Yeah, I know. I saw that same thing too, and that's the first time that Pete has ever said that. And and. You know, I, I've wondered for a while because, you know, I, I've been, you know, having done this campaign, you know, we're, we're obviously very aware of, of 
anything when it peaked in the news. And for a while, he was just saying that he didn't think it was going to be possible and all this. So I don't know what motivated him to say that. And, and you yeah. notice that Pete is in the Pete was in the news again today. I mean, Pete is in the news a lot. So I don't know. The fact I, I know it wasn't a major league affiliate that he that he managed the game for the single A club uh, a few weeks ago, but the fact that he was on the field then, the fact that he was allowed to be part of the uh, the reunion with the Big Red Machine last year when Joe Morgan's statue was unveiled, I thought that was a, that was a very big move. And it's just sort of like showing that they're, they're sort of loosening the the bounds of the band. And with the All-Star game coming to Cincinnati next summer, Seelix stepping down at the end of this season, it sort of seems like, you know, if it's going to happen, it's, it's getting ready to happen within the next year. So you know, I feel like they started the campaign at the right time. One of the comments I heard that gave some credence, at least to me, about that, Pete's comment, that uh, – you, you would wonder if Seelig might pardon him just to take that pressure off the next commissioner. Because you know, the next commissioner, the first question that he's going to be asking is, hey, are you going to pardon Pete Rose? If right. Seelig pardons him on the way out the door, that takes that burden off that new commissioner. Yeah, I mean, it, that's, a very, that's, a, that's a great point. I hadn't thought that, about that, but that's, that's a very valid point. You know, I mean, and there's definitely precedent for it. You know, presidents, as they're getting ready to step down, governors, as they're getting ready to step down, you know, often give these, you know, these 11th hour death row pardons. And so it, it would sort of be like that, except for the fact that, you know, I mean, you know, I don't want to ever compare Pete Rose to a murderer because, you know, gambling is not homicide, number one. And number two, I, there was no evidence that Pete ever bet against his, his team. Pete never bet on himself to lose. I mean, if there were any evidence to, 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 that he did that, then, then we wouldn't be doing this campaign. Um, and it's just, I, I, I feel, I feel certain beyond reasonable doubt that he always bet on his team to win, because I just think it would go against his personal constitution to do anything but that. Hey, Donald, one last question before we let you go. You've been in contact with Pete Rose. Pete knows about your website. Tell me, tell our listeners what Pete feels about what it is that you're trying to accomplish in the website? You know, man, it's hard to tell exactly. I know he, he expressed his gratitude. We got a chance to sit down with him at Reds Fest a little bit. Um, when the doors opened, he had to go, of course, because it's a Major League Baseball sanctioned event. But, you know, we've talked to his agent a number of times. And, you know, Pete, Pete you know, I think he's sort of a man of very few words. I mean, he definitely expressed his gratitude. And, and he's got he's got our shirts and and all of that. And, and you know, but but the, but the truth is, is that we have consciously kept Pete at an arm's distance because you know, not not that Pete has come to us and said, "Hey, I want to be part of the campaign," but we've never come to him and said, "Pete, we want your help with this," because we feel that our goodwill and the real strength of the campaign comes from the fact that it's the fans' campaign for Pete Rose. It's not Pete Rose's campaign for Pete Rose. And, and I think that if the fans started to get the idea that Pete was behind it and that Pete was running it, then we would lose a lot of our goodwill. So we've, you know, we've, uh, we try to let, give Pete his space as well because Pete makes his living being Pete Rose. So you're, you're never going to see us following him around to his different autograph signings and things like that. Like we're going to, you know, we let Pete, you know, we're going to let Pete make his money. We don't want to intrude on, on how he makes his living. 
Hey, Don, just out of curiosity, what kind of an attorney are you? Um, I, I am a trial attorney by trade. I'm actually in the midst of a criminal jury trial that's taken up most of this week right now. Um, but more and more, I'm getting into financial planning and trust in the state and those things. But I've been I've been mostly a criminal defense guy for, uh, for the last ten years. I, I, I was just curious. That, that the other the only reason I wanted to ask that. Don, tell us uh, how do the people pick up a, a T-shirt? What does it cost? And what's your Twitter address? Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, liftheband.net is our online home. If you were to search Lift the Band on Pete Rose on Google, you'll you'll definitely find us. Uh, we have all our, the whole, all the shirts are there. They range in price. It depends on the design. And it's, you know, it's just like as our costs go up, the cost of the shirts go up, of course. But they're fantastic shirts. We ship quick. We ship for free. Um, on Twitter, at list of band net. Again, if you were to search list of band on Pete Rose, if you were to just search Pete Rose, you'll definitely find us because, man, that Twitter thing is just, it's, <laughs> It's tremendous. Every, like, it's quite a marketing every time I tool. Twitter, we got like 50 more followers. Got a Facebook yeah. page, all that stuff. So, I mean, that's the way to get involved, honestly. Like, if you could just follow us, retweet some of the stuff that comes out, and that's it's a huge, it's a huge thing of support because so many like revolutions and things like that, man. Uh, if you pay much attention to international news. Like with all the Arab Spring stuff that happened a couple of years ago, I mean, Twitter was a major factor in that stuff. So I know that Twitter can work. It's certainly working for us. All right, Donald, thanks a lot. Good luck with the website. Thanks for joining us here tonight. I appreciate it so much. Thank you guys for having me on. Thank you, Donald. Thanks a lot. All right, have a good night. Right. Donald Nepper from LiftTheBand.net. It's not .com, it's .net. LiftTheBand.net. Get your shirts and, and anything else and you can also catch him on twitter at lift the band you know i'll tell you what mark that's a very interesting idea that you just put forth that maybe bud Seeley could do it on his way out the door yeah i was thinking about you know just the the logic of it's like when a president leaves office and there's a lot of dangling participles he can just issue a pardon and the next president doesn't have to deal with it and i think that would be Honest to God, I bet at the press conference and whoever is the next commissioner, that will be the first or second question. Are you gonna you gonna lift the ban on Pete Rose? Now the guy's gonna start dealing with that. So he did. If he does that, he looks like a hero himself, leading. And you know, Pete's not gonna be. I don't think there's too many baseball opportunities for Pete out there, but there'll be some. But I'd love to see him back in the game. And what's amazing is you and I have talked about this. I, I forgot the percentage now. But it's in the in the mid seventies of baseball fans who want him reinstated. Who, who else are you doing it for? Isn't it the fans? Right. And and I don't think it's so much of Pete getting a job with a team, Mark. I think he's better suited now to be an employee of Major League Baseball and go around at spring training and talk to kids, minor league camps about the perils of gambling in baseball. I think that's where he's best focused at. Yeah, there's a lot of things Pete can bring, but, you know, as Don said, <laughs> the Hall of Fame is not a Hall of Fame. It's a museum without Pete Rose in it. And uh, <laughs> the guy, you know, leads the universe in hits, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it doesn't make any sense, but uh, that, that was very interesting. I was glad to hear that. In fact, I might order myself a T-shirt. 
I'm thinking about doing the same thing. So our thanks to Donald Nupper from LiftTheBand.net for being our guest here tonight talking about his campaign to get Pete Rose reinstated. It's time now for our Ask Us segment. We've got a couple of questions here this evening. So, Mark, let me start out with Curly Q. And Curly Q, he or she, I'm not sure which, asks, does the amount of All-Stars the Reds sent to the game this season mean that the team is disappointing? No, I, I don't think it means the team is disappointing. I, I think it means, if, if you were listening to the first half of our show, when I listed the number of injur- uh, people who have been on the DL, and let me start with Matt Latos, your number one starter, Joey Votto, your number one player, uh, Brandon Phillips, Devin Mesoraco twice, Aroldis Chapman, the best reliever in baseball, Broxton, Bruce, Trevor Bell, Tony Singrani, Sean Marshall, out for the year, uh, Skip Schumacher, Brent Marshall, and Jack Hanahan. <laughs> I mean, these guys have been out collectively hundreds and hundreds of games they have missed. And for the team to be where they are only a game and a half out and have five All-Stars going to the All-Star game, and I think a guy overlooked, frankly, who should have gone, was Billy Hamilton, hitting two, was he, 285, five home runs, uh, uh I think he's got 35 or 40 RBIs, are you, 38 stolen bases, playing great defense. So, I actually thought Hamilton should have went rather than Mesoraco. Oh, I, no, I disagree there. Mesoraco, he has been he's been rock solid, and uh, he leads. But me. as you said, he's been on the DL twice. That's true. Uh, he hasn't had a big sample, but even with that, he's hit 16 home runs and driven in 45 runs, I think. And he has the highest percentage of uh, home runs per at-bats. Once every 12 at-bats, he has a home run. Uh, This guy's for real. I mean, Dave, I've I've seen this team for a long time, and this guy has a chance. If he he wasn't a catcher, if he learned to play first base or play something else, this guy could hit 50 home runs. He he is a stud, and his bat speed, I I haven't seen anything like that for, for a long time. Uh, what was the guy, Gary Sheffield, who had the incredible bat speed? That's what this guy's mm-hmm. bat speed is like. So, no, I disagree. I think he should have made it. Uh, but uh, Kurt Q, I, I think uh, if, you're, if you're implying that the Reds have not performed when you have that many all-stars on your team, I disagree. Uh, some Think of it this way. If you went into the beginning of this year and you – Ask what the numbers would be, the statistics would be for Joey Votto and Jay Bruce and your left fielder at this time of the year. You wouldn't believe it to have the Reds only a game and a half out. You have your right fielder hitting 220, Jay Bruce. And and Votto hasn't even played this year, hardly. And then Ludwig, uh, I, I, I don't even want to get into it, but. Uh, he has not performed, let's put it that way. Right. Our next question comes from Kelly A. on Facebook earlier tonight. And Kelly asks, guys, without trades, tell us what both teams need to do to improve. That's a, that's a very interesting question, but you're hamstringing us by saying we can't make any trades. Well, but she has a good point. Well, go ahead. Start with the Indians. Well, I think as far as the Indians are concerned, I think one of the first things they have to do 
is decide that they are going to play um Oh gosh, and now my <laughs> I, I just absolutely went brain dead on the third baseman. Um but they they have got to move him to right field, Mark. I think that's what they have to do and they have to put Avillies at third base full time if they're not gonna make any trades whatsoever. Are you talking um about but Chis yes. Um they've got to move him to right field. Where a majority of his errors take place are on the throws. And you know as well as I do that when you're on the run from third base, it's very difficult to control your arm. It's very difficult to get that arm slot where it has to be, and that's where he has problems. But from the outfield, you've got a margin of error. He's got a strong arm. He can make the throw from right field to third base very easily with the strength of his arm. And I think if you move him to right field, I think he becomes maybe not a gold glove right fielder, but a very good defensive right fielder. And you allow him to be able to concentrate on his hitting. Avili's moving to third base then means that you're solidifying that third base position and you get Avili's into the lineup all the time. I think that's two things that you can do right now without making a deal that would make the Indians better. What about the Reds, Mark? Very simply, if the Reds stay healthy, they're going to win the division by five games. They, 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 they've learned to live and learn to win without Joey Votto. They'll, they can do that again if, and it's a big if, they stay healthy. Uh, they're going to be getting Brandon Phillips back in about five weeks. Who knows how good he's going to be. Uh, and, again, if, if you're not allowing me to add players, all I can say is if we stay healthy with the pitching we have, we should have enough uh, horsepower to, to score enough runs to win the division now. That does not, I'm not saying they're going to go very far in the playoffs. Uh, I, I don't think they will with the hitting they got. They can be shut down very easily with, with strong pitching. But with Miserocco coming of age uh, behind the plate and at the plate and the rest of the offense, if Jay Bruce comes back and just has an, a, a normal second half, hits 10, 15, 18 home runs in the second half, the Reds will have enough juice to win. So, um, would life be easier if, if uh, this young lady allowed me, Kelly allowed me, or maybe it's a male, if, if Kelly allowed me to uh, make a deal, yeah, it would be easier. But the Reds can win, I believe, without making a trade. You know, here's one other thing that I could do if I'm, if I'm an Indians fan. I could bring up Francisco Lindor, put him at shortstop, move Cabrera to third base. That way you can leave Avilles on the bench to bring him off the bench the way you have been, and still move Chisholm Hall to right field. That's another thing that the Indians could do. Mark, i got to ask you, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment, by the way. You can send in your questions either on Facebook, Twitter, at OHBB Co-host, or sending us an email to dmitch or askus at ultimatesportstalk.com. I've got to ask you this. What do you think the injury to Yadier Molina has done to the Cardinals season? I think it's really, really hurt them. I think that injury... In the, in the central division of the National League is the most devastating injury any single player could have, including a starting pitcher. That guy is the heart and soul of that team offensively and defensively. And what I read today was he's, it's likely he's done for the year. Uh, he's going to be out at least, at least 10 to 12 weeks. And even if he comes back, you know, what's he going to be like? But I, I think that's the worst injury. I think it's a worse injury for the Cardinals than Vado was for the Reds. 
Okay. But what about okay? How about Brandon Phillips? What what is the diagnosis for him? Well, his injury is not as bad as the one Molina has. Uh, they it did require surgery, but don't forget he's playing second base. He's not catching. And if he comes back, it's likely and it was his left hand, so it wasn't his throwing hand. So it's likely he's going to be able to play defense, even if he can't swing the bat as well as he was swinging. And he, he's been the Reds' most consistent hitter this year. He's been around 275, 280 all year. I think he's driven in, what, 44, 45 runs. So he's been a, he's been a real solid actor for the Reds this year. So I think he'll come back, but the Reds have people who can go into second base. But that leads me to a rumor I just saw about two hours ago on the Internet about the Reds going after uh, a player that I have said for a while could help them as much as any other. Can you hazard a guess who that might be? Who's that? Martin Prado. Wow, okay. And they said that he would fit very nicely into the three-hole uh, or even the two-hole for the Reds and give them good defense in the outfield, replace Ludwig in left field, but he can also play infield. Uh, he, he's a he's a well-rounded guy, great hitter. He's a, he's a 291 lifetime batting average, but what was shocking was what the Reds would have to give up. And this guy's I think he's got uh, two years left on a, an 11 or tw- uh, 20 or $22 million contract, something like that. Uh, which I think they can they can afford it, but they would give up this according to this rumor, and it's only a rumor. Uh, give up Mike Leake. Really? Well, that's what it said. And I, that where I like Martin Prado, I don't like him Mike Leake enough to make that deal. I would figure they. I I would think that they would have asked for somebody like uh, Robert Stevenson or Singrani. Yeah, I think, but they probably want a major league player, you know, ready player. And Mike Leake is a young guy, and he has, uh, you know, Mike Leake is the kind of guy who could win 200, 225 games in the big leagues. He's he's a young guy. He's already, he won 14 last year, I think 13 the year before, 14 the year before that. He's going to win 14 or 15 this year. Uh, You know, you kind of forget about him. But uh, he, he's a great young talent, and I'm not sure uh, I'd give up. Pra- I'd, I'd give him up to get Prado. I, I, I'd give up Stevenson to get Prado, and that's that's a big give up, you know, given his arm. But you know, it, it's one thing to be a really good Double A pitcher or Triple A pitcher. It's another thing to be a proven Major League pitcher. Absolutely, and there's a big difference there. And as as far as uh Robert Stevenson and Francisco Lindor. Of course, the Futures game was held yesterday, and the United States team prevailed by the score to 3-2. to two. Lindor got the start at short, batted second for the world team at target field, and he went 0-2 in the game. Reds outfielder Jesse Winkler went 1-2. He got the first hit for the U.S. in that game, and Robert Stevenson pitched one inning. He struck out one and gave up one hit. Mark, you know, the the big story over the weekend obviously had nothing to do with baseball, and it had to do with LeBron James returning to Cleveland and, and coming back to the Cavaliers. And it, and it got me actually thinking, and it, it made me wonder, you know, if, if you're a team, a town, uh, not so much, I guess you could put Cincinnati into it, but a, a three-sport town, 
Let's just put it that way. And one of the teams makes a huge splash, like a LeBron James coming back as a free agent signing. Do you think it puts pressure on the other teams that are in that city in other sports to do something to match what one team has done? No, I, I don't. Um, I think the, the individuality of the sports, even the fan base of the sports, to some degree, is different per sport. Um, yeah, there, obviously, there's overlap. People who like all the sports and attend all the games, but there are clearly football fans, and there are clearly basketball fans and baseball fans. So, I don't think teams could make those kinds of decisions. Uh, I think you're more likely to make a decision if somebody in your division within your sport does something. In other words, if the Cardinals go out and sign a huge player at the All-Star break. I think it's more likely the Reds would do something than if uh, the Bengals went out and signed, uh, you know, some huge free agent for, for football. So I, I personally don't think it's related, but, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think, for example, I, I think the Cavaliers were forced into doing something, and it's completely opposite of what a lot of people would think. You would think that with the signing of LeBron James – it would have forced the other teams, the Indians and the Browns, to actually do something. But what I thought happened was the fact that the Browns drafted Johnny Manziel, and which I thought was bringing Barnum and Bailey to town, but nonetheless they did it, and it brought a lot of notoriety to the city of Cleveland. But then that forced the Cavaliers to go out and do something and, and bring in even a bigger name in LeBron James. And now what I'm thinking is, are the Indians actually going to be forced into doing something of that size or, you know, some sort of a move in order to get themselves back on the front pages of the sports because I'll tell you what, Mark, the city of Cleveland is a football town. Uh, there's no doubt about it. it. It is a football town. And what this LeBron James move has done is it has knocked the Browns off of the front pages. And if the Indians are not within, let's just say, four or five games of first place. By the time the Browns open up training camp, the Indians are going to be an afterthought for the last two months of the season in Cleveland. That's interesting. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting that also the the Indians have made, or, or the Cleveland teams have made two of the three biggest moves uh, on the sporting scene. And, you know, we're here to talk about baseball, but... Johnny Manziel, he is the biggest roll of the dice, I think, any team selected this year in terms of what, what he could be. Uh, I just don't think a guy his size, despite his enormous talent, is going to be able to persevere in the NFL. I mean, I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I, I've seen him well, play <laughs> enough times. Mark, you and I are, are are preaching to the choir here because I thought the same thing. Matter of fact, Cincinnati got the guy that I wanted for Cleveland in AJ McCarron. So that that shows you how much how much I know. Let's get back to the game of baseball, Mark. As you said, this is Bud Selig's last year. December thirty first, he will step down as commissioner of baseball. Now, Rob Manfred is the leading candidate to take his place, but there is some a disgruntled movement 
among some of the owners, especially Jerry Reinsdorf of the Chicago White Sox. They don't want Manfred in that position. So they have sent up some other names, including Disney Chief Executive Bob Iger, Giants President Larry Bear, Braves Chairman Terry McGurk, and Tigers GM Dave Dombrowski, Cleveland Indians President Mark Shapiro, Tim Brosnan, and Rob Bowman, currently senior business executives in the commissioner's office, are seen as long shots. Mark, if you were on the hiring committee, who would you like to see as the next commissioner of baseball? I, if, if you're limiting, limiting it to the names you just mentioned, I don't know enough about them other than the general comment that I would like to see a former general manager uh, who understands the business aspects of it uh, be in that role. I think that's where the, the breathing ground for good uh, commissioners comes from. And um, you could argue, you know, it, it's been in the in the air for, for decades that Bob Costas would be a great commissioner for baseball. I don't know that he would. He'd be a good ambassador for baseball, I think. But at that level, you need somebody who knows how to look at a balance sheet, and you're, you're talking about a billion-dollar business. And um, uh, I want somebody with a business background. I'm going to throw two names out at you. George Mitchell, former senator, big baseball fan, uh, has a variety of experience uh, all over the world. And, and, you know, George Will would be another one, although... I'm not quite sure if George Will would actually want the job, and even if he would be that good at it. Another one I'm going to throw out to you is not so much of a guy with a business background, but with a tremendous amount of baseball background, Joe Torrey. Not sure if Joe would be a good one either, but you know, since we're throwing out names, I think I'll throw out those two. I think, I think Joe Torrey's too old. Uh, he's already in his 70s and or close to it, and he wouldn't be around long. I think he has the you know the the personality and the background and the on field experience. I, and he's worked in the commissioner's office now for three or four years, but um, I don't think he would have the longevity that I would want in that. I think I'd want a guy in his late forties, early fifties who could be around for a while and, and give some stability to the to the office. Yeah, that's probably a very good point. One last uh, thought here before we sign off for tonight, Mark. There's going to be a very special commercial on tomorrow night's All-Star Game. Matter of fact, it may have been played on tonight's Home Run Derby, but there's going to be a Nike spot commemorating Derek Jeter. This is a two-minute commercial on Derek Jeter. Basically, and I've seen it. It's on the Internet. If you want to see it, just put in Derek Jeter Nike commercial. Just Google that, and the commercial will come up. He steps into the batter's box, Mark, and adjusts his batting helmet. And the pitcher is John Lester of the Boston Red Sox. And Lester is looking over the top of his glove, and he adjusts his hat, only it's more of a tip of the cap to him. So then they go to the crowd, and a vendor does the same thing to Jeter, tips his cap. Many of the fans at Yankee Stadium tip their cap. Billy Crystal, he's in the commercial. He tips his cap. Michael Jordan, they've got Red Sox fans that do it. Phil Jackson does it from the back seat of a limo. Uh, New York policemen, they've got several New York policemen and firemen that do the same thing. Carmelo Anthony, Spike Lee, 
Tiger Woods on the golf course does the same thing. They go into a restaurant, and this one was the best one that I saw. And around the table, five guys tip their hat. And when you look at those five guys, it's Joe Torre, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera, and Paul O'Neill. That, that sounds really cool. It really does. It, it is a great commercial. i got to ask you this before we sign off, Mark. Where do you think Jeter ranks as far as Yankee lore? Well, I think he's going to have his plaque out there with Garrick and Ruth and everybody else. Uh, you can't have the statistics he had and not be among that group. Certainly the greatest shortstop of all Yankees, including Rizzuto and uh, you know, a couple others that might come to mind. But uh, he, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he, and the other thing about Jeter, aside from the statistics, he has been a class act. And despite the fishbowl fish in New York, he's kept his nose clean, literally and figuratively. And uh, the guy is a walking uh, ATM machine in terms of the money he's going to make after baseball. He'll make more money after baseball than he made in baseball. I agree with you. Hey, magic number for this month. You said the Reds needed 17 wins. They've got eight going into the All-Star break for the month of July. What do the Reds have coming up this weekend after the All-Star break? They go to New York for three games, and then they go to Milwaukee for three games. And those will be those games with Milwaukee. Who you know the Reds have had their way with the Central Division, and uh, except St. Louis, so they've really feasted on on the Central Division. So if they can uh, hold their own, uh, and you know every game they win now, it's one more game they have to win down the road, or one less game well, they have to win down the road. That's right. I said the Indians needed 14 wins in the month of July. They've got eight also. And the Indians go to Detroit this weekend. They've got a four-game set, a doubleheader on Saturday. That doubleheader on Saturday is a makeup date from a rainout that they had back in April. And then they go to Minnesota next week, next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So we'll be back next week. Mark, who's your prediction for the All-Star game? Do you care? I don't care. I, I don't either. So <laughs> there, there we go. I'll probably watch it, but I, I lost interest in the All-Star game when they made it. Uh, the home court, home field advantage. So, Mark, we'll talk to you again next week. All right, Dave. Take care. All right. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget our Ultimate Sports Talk show on Thursday night at 7 p.m. Our thanks tonight to Donald Nepper from LiftTheBand.net for being our guest. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer. But most of all, our thanks to you for listening to tonight's show. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock for another Ohio Baseball Weekly show. Have a good week, everybody. Good night. Goodbye.